Dr. Meeta Singh is a sleep doctor whose work and research focuses on maximizing performance in both individual athletes and sports teams. She's the service chief of sleep medicine at the Henry Ford Sleep Laboratory in Michigan and has consulted for multiple NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA teams, as well as college programs, helping them with sleep assessments, travel management, and education on how to use sleep as a competitive advantage. I'm Cody Royal, and this is Where Others Won't. Samita Singh, welcome to Where Others Won't. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Cody. Highly, highly recommended by Fergus Connolly. And so when Fergus says something, you, you definitely listen. So we're going to talk all things sleep, which yes. in the athletic world, in the, the business world, huge, huge topic at the moment, you know, it's kind of been popularized a little bit by the, uh, you know, the personal development world, but you've re- really been at the forefront of, of the research side and also worked with a lot of teams on the sporting side. And so you can really delve into, you know, a, a lot of the nitty gritty stuff for us. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to go deep on sleep. Why don't we just start with your background? You know, it's something that's always boggled my mind, particularly with the North American sports, like as an Australian every team just about plays in the same time zone. Whereas when you come to North America, you've got these day in day out sports where they're going across time zones. They're playing at 1 PM one day, 7 PM the next day. Like I said, you've been at the forefront of the research and and worked with a lot of these teams. So like, why don't you tell us your, your background in terms of your education and then how did you end up here? So, so I am a sleep medicine specialist and uh, for my background, I, you know, after my medical school, I did a training in psychiatry at Mayo Clinic and then did a sleep medicine fellowship at the Henry Ford Health System. So I've been in clinical practice since about 2005 where I work with diagnosing and treating sleep disorders in people of all ages. I'm also involved in research and the focus at Henry Ford is on insomnia shift work normal and abnormal sleep, as well as the effect of alcohol and drugs on sleep. So, you know, how I ended up working with professional athletes is really happenstance. Um, so, uh, you know, I, so I finished my resident fellowship, was doing some work in research, and then um, I became pregnant with twins. And so I had to make one of those, uh, you know, um, I, I wouldn't call it a tough, but just the right decision women have to make and that I had to, uh, I couldn't work so much in research. It would take too much time. And so I started working in, in, my, in the clinic right. part-time. And then, while, uh, you know, raising my kids. And, and I did that for a few years until my kids became older. I'd always had these ideas of using sleep science optimization to help people become healthier and more productive. And, and so it was, uh, it was a, a, a fantastic opportunity for me. At one point, I started working with the local NFL team. So I was speaking to the team physician, and um, that's how I started working with my first team. And that was Detroit? That was in Detroit, yes. Yeah. And since then, my work has only grown. I mean, I went from working at the local NFL team 
to working with the major league baseball team. And then I started working with the other leagues and other teams nationally as well as internationally because people, they move, you know, people who work in, in sports, it's a very small world. And if you do your work well, by word of mouth, you get a good reputation. And so, so my work has, has grown. Although I have to tell you, it's no fairy tale. It's, it really, although it started happenstance, but it really did require, you know, commitment and hard work on my part, as well as willingness to, on my part, to put myself in uncomfortable situations like speaking on, you know, to large audience, like, for example, speaking on your podcasts. <laughs> I mean, how many folks do you get listening to your podcasts? Uh, well, let's just say millions. Well, well, that's pretty daunting right there. Plus, you know, that's daunting. Plus, I, I don't know about you, but I loathe listening to my own voice. So, you know, anyway, I, I've just, it's, I've grown organically. You know, I speak, I would speak at one conference and somebody in the audience would invite me to come work with a team. Um, it's pretty neat. And I, yeah, I look forward to making, you know, growing this work even further. It's important work. Uh, well, why don't I ask you that? So how do you sleep before you give a big presentation to a conference? Ah, good question. So I, Cody, am a, I'm a good sleeper. Okay. I am a good sleeper. The, the few times I will have issues with falling asleep is if I have a, a sick child, if my, one of my kids is sick, you, mm -hmm. know, then, you know, then I have difficulty. Even if they're asleep, I will have difficulty. And I'll, I'll tell you that this is interesting because we can talk about this a little further. So really, you can divide the world into two kinds of people, those who have difficulty sleeping when they're stressed and others who don't. And this is a focus of some of the research we've done at the Henry Ford Sleep Center. So Dr. Christopher Drake, who heads the research, he developed, it's the Ford Insomnia Response Questionnaire, and he, so, which is used to identify people who don't have insomnia, but who have a high sleep reactivity, which essentially means that under any kind of stress, their sleep tends to deteriorate. Hmm. Right? So, and, and, and screening, once you screen for these people and are able to identify this group of people, these are the people who will further go ahead and develop problems with insomnia. So this is a, it, it's a great screening tool. It's usually used, typically it's used for research, but in clinically, for example, so if you took two rookies who joined at the same time, say let, let's say the NBA, because, you know, the NBA, the schedule is really bad. Yeah. And so if there was one rookie whose sleep reactivity score was higher versus the other, who had a normal um, reactive, sleep reactivity score, the first rookie was, would be more likely to develop significant sleep issues. While the other, the second rookie would, you know, would initially have some difficulty, but then might settle down. Does right. that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. I mean, uh, it, it's neat all the things that we can do once we know where to look for uh, suggestions or, or um, you know, people who, who might be at risk for certain disorders. It's really interesting. You say that. So to marry a couple of those ideas up, it's interesting that you say that you don't sleep well when, a kid is sick. Mm -hmm. So in general, 
I sleep really well, but when I don't sleep well, it's actually before I coach games. So I never ah. had, I never had issues playing uh-huh. and I played Aussie rules football for 20 something years uh-huh. at a relatively high level. But uh-huh. then once I got into coaching and particular, particularly recently as a head coach uh-huh. now, well, it's 28 guys on our squad. I feel like I have 28 kids. And so mm. the, the night before the game, I really struggle with that. And that's been really eye-opening for me mm-hmm. because, yeah, that, that kind of heavy stress, it's, it's nothing other than have I prepared them well enough and, and are, yes. they, are they okay? Mm-hmm. So I might only get three or four hours sleep before a game, which I know isn't ideal, but I, I really struggle with that stress. Yeah. So I, I would tell you, my suggestion would be to always try to get a good night of sleep because, because that way you compensate for the fact that there may be an occasional night when you don't get enough sleep. You know, you're prepared for that yeah. night because you slept well the week leading up to that. My wife wouldn't let me uh, do this podcast without asking you this. So she uh-huh. has very, very deep sleep and has very, uh-huh. very vivid dreams where she uh-huh. uh, feels quite tired even when she wakes up because uh-huh. she feels like she's in the dream. Uh-huh. Do you have any advice or any kind of insight into people like that who re- literally, they're not just dreaming, they're like heavily dreaming and feel like they're right there in the dream? So, so typically when you dream, that meant that you went through, you know, light sleep, deep sleep, got to dream sleep. So that is actually reassuring. Now there are some medications that can, Uh, that can make dreams more vivid and certain sleep disorders like sleep apnea, et cetera, that can make uh, dreams more vivid. So I would suggest that she talk to her primary care doctor, especially if she's saying she's also tired. And, and, and then, um, yeah, that I, I would say that would be the first best step. Done. I'll play this back to her as soon as we get off the call. Okay. okay. <laughs> She's waiting outside the door to hear your answer. <laughs> let's, let's get into some of this nitty gritty around athletes and teams. We've, we've scratched the surface a little bit with, uh, with the NBA example you gave us earlier, but mm-hmm. what do you see as the main sleep issues with teams and, and athletes Uh, You know, particularly in this world that we're talking about, you know, North America is so demanding in terms of the scheduling and some sports play three, four games a week in different time zones. It could be up to three different time zones. So Mm -hmm. what are the major things that you see in terms of the the issues that you need to deal with? Uh, You know, I would look at sleep issues facing the pro athletes and I'd divide them, them into three large categories. The first, of course, the major sleep challenge is the cumulative fatigue during the season because of the cumulative effect of sleep deprivation, which is mm-hmm. not difficult to understand given their mm-hmm. schedule. So think, think 162 regular season games for Major League Baseball, 82 for NBO, the NHL, and 17 for the NFL. And, you know, sometimes these games are on consecutive days or two or five days a week. And, and of course, you know, they play a game, they board a flight, they travel to the next destination. And clearly it's not surprising that they don't get enough sleep. But the second major issue is the problem with the timing of when athletes sleep and wake. So a disruption in their sleep-wake pattern because of misalignment of the circadian timing system. And we can talk about this in detail later. But so, so there can be complaints of difficulty sleeping, excessive sleepiness, or both, and suboptimal performance 
because of the misalignment. And again, it's because of the frequent travel, crossing of time zones, varying games and practice times. And, and the third large category is what we were talking about initially is when players have individual sleep issues, whether it's a problem with insomnia symptoms or problems with snoring or sleep apnea or any other sleep issue that occurs on an individual basis. Let's go deeper on this. So why don't we just start from the top? The cumulative sleep deprivation. You talked about scheduling there. So, so, so tough. Like baseball and NHL in particular, because I know they tend to play at different times. NBA uh-huh. tends to be around 7 p.m. Uh, the NFL obviously differs as well. But just this, just dealing with the schedule in general. The first thing we should talk about really is sleep deprivation, right? So typically, the recommend the recommended amount of sleep needed for an average adult is to function normally or optimally is seven to nine hours on a regular basis. And and so there are a few things that we should remember. Firstly, the impairment occurs in a dose dependent fashion, which means that six hours are worse than seven which is worse than eight, which is worse than nine hours in bed. And the second thing to remember is that the deficits are cumulative, which means that the longer you get less sleep, the worse the deficits will be in your reaction time, in your accuracy, etc. And and the interesting thing to note is that the self-awareness of sleepiness, so self-awareness of sleepiness does not parallel the cumulative impairment so they're not accurately able to tell how sleepy they are. They don't Very know, similar yeah. to how somebody who's, yep, yep. So, so similar to somebody who's been drinking. So is, you know, that person is probably the last person who can accurately tell you whether they're fit to drive. <laughs> and, and because people can't tell how sleepy they are, that contributes to why, you know, people or athletes get less sleep. And of course, in addition to the fact, because not just their schedules, they're all, which, shortchange the amount of hours of sleep they can get. Athletes will often procrastinate when it comes to time in bed. In fact, I should say many of us will procrastinate when it comes to going to bed. Right. I like to discuss why, uh, why people tend to procrastinate because this has been studied. And, you know, why are folks, despite all that knowledge out there, why are they still deciding to go to bed late despite knowing they're going to feel awful the next day. And typically, you know, you can divide these into three themes. So it's either deliberate procrastination or it's mindless or it's a strategic delay. So deliberate, Cody, would be um, when, you will, when one willfully delays their bedtime because they feel they've, they deserve some time off for themselves. Like I've had a very busy day. I just got some time to relax. Why should I go to bed? I deserve to stay up. Right. right. We've all been there. Yep. And, then, and then, of course, mindless procrastination is think losing track of time due to being immersed in, you know, whatever activities you're doing in the evening, like whether it's on social media or listening to um, your podcast. Right. <laughs> you, you, you start one and you say, well, you know, I'm going to turn it off in about 15 minutes, 45 minutes go by. It's really interesting. And well, you're, you've delayed your bedtime now by 35 minutes. And, and, and finally, there's strategic delays. So some people will go to bed late because they feel they can fall asleep better if they go to bed later. So think of a night owl who decides that, well, I'm not going to fall asleep till about one or two in the morning. So it makes no sense if I went to bed at 10, I'd, 
I, because I'm just not going to fall asleep. So I will delay my bedtime. And of course, your audience will understand this. So, so keep in mind these reasons are not mutually exclusive. So for example, one might start by procrastinating deliberately, but end up losing track of time, right? I say, well, I've been, you know, I've had a busy day. I deserve some me time. I'm going to watch, I'm going to listen to 20 minutes of the podcast. And here I am, um, I'm already on pod, the episode number two. So I've lost track of time. Uh, you know, this is important because you, you know, when I'm working with teams or if I'm working with an athlete, you want to have this candid clear conversation because you want to understand exactly what the reasons are because the reasons can uh, you know can can change and to identify correctly what intervention to use it, you know you 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 want to choose it it has to be one that best fits the context within that the general discussion around this topic it's you know that reading a book might be uh, slightly better than watching a screen. And so like in terms of the intellectual stimulation, is there variables even within those mindless tasks that you're doing while you're procrastinating? For some people, when they have difficulty falling asleep because their mind uh, will not stop racing, uh, sometimes reading a book or listening to a podcast is a good thing because it stops you from thinking and it almost, you know, it stops you from thinking of the fact that you're not sleeping, which is, which is the thought that's giving you performance anxiety about sleep in the first place. Right? <laughs> so yes, a dull, boring podcast would be recommended. So yours would not make that list. No, correct. You know, you don't, you, you probably want, don't want to read Sherlock Holmes or something really exciting because you don't want to read a page turner. You'd rather read something quiet and something that, that would help you relax too. And screens are typically bad just because of the blue-green light they emit that can uh, suppress melatonin use. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's no, there's no one-size-fits-all, right? So if somebody was deliberately trying to delay their bedtime because they didn't have enough me time during the day, then it makes better sense to help them with their schedule so that they have a downtime or me time early in the evening or sometimes during the day. And for people who get lost in, say, mindful procrastination, then it makes better sense to help them set external cues like alarms. And of course, you know, if somebody is a night owl, then you, you want to specifically address that. So yeah, it, it, it really is an individual thing. The impact on, on act in particular as they're going through this like as you were talking there I was thinking about the times where I wasn't performing at the level that I was expecting of myself and I couldn't work out why and generally talking of one-size-fits-all labels particularly in men's sports we would go oh he just needs to get his confidence back and so we attribute it to some sort of skill acquisition or level of skill and and you know just a, a small little mental tinge on that but in thinking through you know the lack of self-awareness of the sleep deprivation mm -hmm. that must be a huge issue in terms of the performance both athletically but also with the the technical and tactical elements of of athletics in general every aspect of athletic performance is going to be affected by the lack of sleep so it's going to make you slower 
It's going to make you less accurate. It's, you know, it's going to prevent the mental game. So it's going to affect your decision-making capabilities. It's going to take, increase your risk-taking behaviors. And because you're slower, you're less accurate, and because your decision-making capability is impaired, the chances of you getting injured increases. It, you know, and once you're injured, you need sleep for recovery. So sleep deprivation is, a, is when there are decreased amounts of growth hormone. Your, your testosterone, which is, you know, which is what you want for muscle uh, recovery and vigor and sense of well-being, as well as the little amount of aggression you need on the field, that is reduced. And in fact, lack reduced sleep deprivation will impair the way your body metabolizes glucose and thus it impairs muscle recovery. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so really, you know, there, there isn't any single aspect of athletic performance that I can think of that actually uh, doesn't, doesn't get hit by, by sleep deprivation. I mean, you know, there was a study that looked at major league baseball players and looked at strike, strike zone judgment. And they found that strike zone judgment was worse in September than in April. And the decline was tied to the fatigue that develops during the course of the season. All right. And so I understand there's some research on like extending sleep and how that helps performance. So maybe we can put a bow on, on the sleep deprivation element with that. So tell us about that. Well, and so these are really simple, elegant studies done uh, on Stanford student athletes. The, um, the group is Cherry Ma, I'm sure you've heard of her, mm -hmm. and, and Bill Dement. Uh, and, and basically what they did is that they took student athletes, they extended their time in bed to about 10 hours, and they found improvement in, in not just athletic performance, but also in their overall, you know, well-being. So these 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 athletes were happier, they were more alert, they were less grumpy. Um, they, had, they reported feeling more alert during the day. And this was, I think it was done in basketball, I know it was done in basketball players, football players, tennis, and uh, swimmers. And, and it has been replicated elsewhere. And so the bottom line is for optimal performance, the recommended time in bed was nine to 10 hours of uh, on a regular basis. And like I, I always like to remind people that at the Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Center, you know, research done in the 80s, Timothy Rears is one of the, uh, the, the, the guys and he, he, one of the researchers, and he showed that in young adults, they needed 10 hours of sleep for optimal alertness the next day. That's what I find fascinating in general at the moment is that we knew all this stuff, not uh -huh. just about sleep, but <laughs> nutrition and mindfulness. And <laughs> this has been sitting uh -huh. here for, for generations. Well, I, I can tell you why I think that it was missing in the sports world, the sleep part. It was missing because for multiple years, uh, you know, athletes would, were, would be taking greenies, amphetamines, as well as steroids. Mm -hmm. and, and, and amphetamines and steroids mask the effect of sleep deprivation. And any old timer, you know, in Major League Baseball would tell you that they miss the greenies more than they miss the steroids. 
And of course now, you know, thankfully there've been their rules and regulations. And so there's a reduction in their use, but that's why, um, you know, there was not so much attention paid to uh, sleep. All right. Let's talk about circadian irregularity. So this circadian rhythm is something that is obviously talked about a lot. Again, at the top of the show, I talked about, you know, personal development and any influencer that's in health is telling you about circadian rhythm, but I want you to tell us exactly what it is and how it impacts us on a day-to-day basis. So circadian system is a intrinsic 24 hour long time-keeping system in our body. And we develop this because we live on this rotating rock and there's alternating cycles of light and dark. So in human beings, the main circadian clock is located in our brain and it's synchronized to the local environment by exposure to light and dark. So this works very simply. During the day, exposure to light will suppress melatonin secretion and cause the clock to secrete an alerting signal. So think, about, think of light like a, as an alertness pill. And then in darkness, your brain secretes melatonin and melatonin suppresses that alerting signal so that, uh, so that your, your, your body and brain are prepared to sleep. So that's the first step. Now the second thing to remember is that almost every physiological function and every cell in your body has a circadian rhythm that peaks and ebbs. And, and this is really important, Cody, for, for athletes because things like your muscle contractile strength, joint flexibility, postural balance, all the things that are important for athletic performance, they have a circadian clock. So there's a certain time during the day when they tend to peak. And this typically coincides with the time when your body temperature peaks. You know, it's, it's also the same time when your joint stiffness is at its minimum. So, so there's a time where, there's a time during the day when peak performance occurs. And typically for the population as a whole, it's in the late, late afternoon, early evening. And, and one other thing that we should mention is the concept of chronotypes. I'm sure you've heard this term before. So a chronotype is, it's a genetically predetermined predisposition that modifies whether an individual prefers to be more active in the morning. So uh, is a morning lark versus the evening or is an evening owl. And so, and so, you know, remember we just talked about how, there's a certain time of the day when peak performance occurs. Well, for morning larks, that peak performance occurs earlier. And for night owls, they tend to peak later in the night. And now, you know, we talked about uh, all, the, all the things that happen in, for pro athletes. They travel, they cross time zones, and because they cross time zones, they can get jet lag and circadian disruption can occur. Uh, do, do, you, uh, do you want me to explain what jet lag is? I would love that, yes. Okay. That was, that was okay. going to be my follow-up question. Okay, okay. So, so let me explain to you. It's very simple. So when you take a jet and you rapidly cross time zones to get to a new time zone, your circadian clock, which was synchronized to the, to the time zone back home, now gets out of sync. 
And now, you know, when you get to the new time zone, your circadian uh, uh, clocks are there scrambling to get adjusted to the new time zone. And that's what causes the symptoms of jet lag. So think, you know, difficulty sleeping when you're meant to be asleep, sleepiness when you're supposed to stay awake. And, and remember we talked about there being a circadian clock in every cell in your body. So your liver, your pancreas, your heart, your other organs, they also get desynchronized. And they may, they may have a separate rate of getting acclimatized to the new time zone. And that's, that's what causes um, the, uh, uh, the symptoms of jet lag. Now, when, when we're talking about jet lag, it's always easier to travel west versus east because our circadian clock is 24 hours plus a few minutes. So it's easier for us to go to bed a little late and wake up a little later, right? You would have noticed that. Right. Yep, definitely. Right, right. But why, if you were traveling from here to uh, uh, Ireland, then you would have to go to bed six or seven hours earlier than your regular bedtime. And you would be jet lagged because you'd, it would be difficult for you to fall asleep. It would mean, for you, it would mean trying to fall asleep at what, five or six in the evening? Yeah. And, and, and because, you're, you're, because you're, your brain is still stuck back in Toronto time uh, and, and it takes a few days to get adjusted to the new time zone. And then of course, by that time, you've got to come back. So now you're going to be jet lagged all over again. So when it comes to athletes, the interesting thing is that, you know, it's, it's not just that we have to help them with jet lag symptoms and to help them get acclimatized earlier, but you want to also want to align, you want to correct that misalignment of their peak performance time. They, so they're peaking at their actual game time at the new time zone. Right. I did uh, an episode with Daniel Pink and also a CEO of, of Noon Hydration, Kevin Rutherford. And he, Kevin was actually at the Boston Marathon at the time. So we started talking about the idea of chronotypes and circadian rhythm uh-huh. with regard to marathon running. Uh-huh. And, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, what, you know, when, when the runners are training and, and, you know, you think about kind of the, the elite amateur, they'll probably train maybe after work perhaps, but then, you know, go and actually run the race at, you know, maybe 7 a.m. And, yes. and just the impact on, on people. And it's interesting that you say that, you know, that kind of generally that peak performance in terms of body temperature and, and, um, and joints is around mid-afternoon. That, that's, where, that's where my mind goes is like the early morning athletes, the triathletes, the runners who are sometimes taking off as early as like 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. and what shape their body must be in and whether that's optimal. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then, you know, there is a way to strategically prepare for that. Right. So, and, and, and the funny thing is that it, you don't need any medication, like no drugs are involved. Because always remember, what all, all the information that we need is finding out what your own circadian rhythm is. Find out, you know, when your melatonin is going to get secreted. Figuring out in what direction it needs to be moved. And then using strategic light exposure as well as avoidance. And, you know, of course, you can use melatonin and schedule. So scheduling bedtimes, wake-up times, nap times, etc., cetera, uh, which can result in shifting of biological clocks. Now, I, it does take a lot of discipline, but in my, in my opinion, 
athletes sometimes have a lot of discipline, you know. And the, the difficulty sometimes I feel is when, when we are dealing with teams because there is a team schedule, you know, and then there are individuals. And teams set schedules according, you know, using a lot of criteria. I mean, they have to take into account a lot of things. And when a team sets their schedule, some people who have, you know, either morning or night chronotypes, they may need some extra help so they, they can align themselves to the team schedule and yet, yet be able to sleep well and stay alert when they need to. I see, and I've spoken at conferences about this in particular, just as a little snippet, but I see this as being huge in the business world too. And something that is never really accounted for. You think about your, you know, let's just use a stock standard example, your Silicon Valley executive who needs to fly to Wall Street to pitch some investors. Uh, you know, that, that time zone difference in the flight, I don't think is ever really accounted for. You're just expected to show up at the meeting and give your best performance. Right. And, and potentially there's a much better way to be at your best. Right, right. And, and actually, I, I do work with a few, um, you know, uh, CEOs and, and Wall Street people. And that's, you know, I almost feel that my work is, I, I feel that, that, they are more compliant because it's it's dealing with one person's schedule yes. rather than the team. Yeah. So let's move on to probably your core area of expertise in, in studying sleep disorders, but insomnia and the insomnia symptoms was the, the last thing that you mentioned in the three. So we had sleep deprivation and the cumulative effect of that. We've had circadian irregularities and then just problem sleeping and, and insomnia symptoms. So why don't we just start with what is insomnia? Simply, very simply put, insomnia is difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep or non-refreshing sleep despite adequate opportunity to do so. And I always like to give an example to explain to people how, how sleep deprivation and insomnia are different. Uh, so, if, Cody, you got into town and your plane didn't arrive till about 11.30, you didn't get home and get into bed till about 1, but you had to be up by 6 in the morning, so you got five hours of sleep, that would be sleep deprivation, right? But if, on the other hand, you got into bed at 10 o'clock, but then you were, you were anxious about, you know, about coaching athletes, and mm -hmm. so you got into bed at 10, but couldn't fall asleep till 1, and so you lay in bed, but you weren't able to fall asleep and then woke up, but finally fell asleep at around, say, one o'clock, woke up at six, so got five hours of sleep, that would be insomnia. Hmm. So that's the difference. So insomnia is really, you know, you have the opportunity to sleep, but you still have difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep. Now, you know, athletes, of course, have multiple reasons why they sleep poorly. So as you, as you know, athletes will have difficulty sleeping before a game because they may have anxiety about the game. Uh, then after a game, they have hyper arousal. 
Mm-hmm. They, you know, their body temperature is high. Uh, the adrenaline is high. They may have aches and pains. They may have anxieties or stresses about the game. If they, you know, even if they won, if they won, they may be, you know, they may be excited and they can't fall asleep. Uh, they may have drunk a lot of caffeine and they couldn't fall asleep after the game. But but that circadian misalignment that we were just talking about that can also contribute. So so think. Uh, you know, West Coast teams traveling to the East Coast now have to fall asleep three hours earlier and mm-hmm. they d- may develop insomnia. You know, night owls, uh, uh, so in the NFL, the team, you know, typically the bedtime should be 11 p.m. to 7 in the morning. But if you're a night owl and can't fall asleep till 1 o'clock, then if you get into bed at 10, they might have insomnia. Right. You know, if if there is a big game the next day, then they may have insomnia. Sometimes, uh, remember we talked about sleep reactivity. Some people may sleep perfectly fine at home, but if they get into a hotel room, they have something called the first night effect with which they have more difficulty falling asleep in strange environments. And, you know, it could be the, you know, think of the Ritz-Carlton, but they may have insomnia. So there are multiple reasons why people will have difficulty falling asleep. Just talk me through that first night, the impact, because it's something that a lot of people deal with, even if they're not athletes, just that, that, that foreign environment. And I'd imagine this is quite deep-seated in us as human beings. Right, right. So, so you know, the first, it's called the first night effect. And, you know, people who've worked in sleep labs know it. So people might sleep really well at home. They come for the first night to the sleep lab and they sleep poorly. And they're like, doctor, I, I never, I sleep really well at home. It's only in a strange environment. So, uh, you know, it, it could be, and they may not have any other sleep issues, first of all. So it mm-hmm. could be, it could be a throwback to something that happened, you know, evolutionary wise. I mean, you, if you, when we were hunters and gatherers, if you were in a strange environment, you know, maybe maybe we were wired to not sleep as well because we needed to be more aware or on guard. You know, it could be that group of people who have high sleep reactivity, which, you know, which have their sleep deteriorates whenever they're exposed to stress and a new environment can be a stressor. So that could be, the, you know, so it, it, and again, you know, it's, it's luck of the draw, whether you fall in that category or not. Now, I travel quite a bit and, you know, thank God I'm a good sleeper, but I know of other people who will sleep, say that, um, you know, they, they, if they're going somewhere for a week, the first couple of nights, they have difficulties falling asleep until they're finally able to fall asleep. Yeah, it seems so common. I, I'm not in that category. I can pretty much sleep anywhere, but. Yeah, you just hear it so often just amongst your friends even. Let's go back to the athletes then. So these insomnia (laughs) symptoms, what what can they do? Like what where they tend to go and and what might be a a better path for them if they are struggling with uh, insomnia symptoms? Well, so first of all, I will say that it's very important to get this addressed. And it's important to get this addressed because if – they don't speak to the team physician uh, or they don't get referred to a, um, a trained sleep uh, physician, then the way that they will treat it is by alcohol, 
or they will get a sleeping pill. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 it uh, typically what happens is that you know a young rookies come into uh, into start playing pro and if they can't fall asleep, they'll talk to other players and the play, you know, and, and that's how, that's how they get to using uh, sleeping pills. So, and, and because we just discussed about all the varied ways, all the different pathways to developing insomnia, it is very important to correctly diagnose it, right? It's very important to understand how it developed because understanding that is going to show us what needs to be done. So the intervention is based on what the actual problem is. Now in clinic, the correct way to address insomnia issues are always by with, you know, you can use medications uh, on short term, but also through something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. And and I often, so this is part of what I do is because I, I, I have a niche clinic in which I work with athletes really in the off season. So these are athletes who've had sleep issues, but once the season begins, as you know, Cody, it becomes so, they become so busy yes. that they don't want to address it, you know, during the season. So, but, but, but athletes understand the, they understand the concept of skills acquisition and so, you know, when, they, when you work with them during the off season, they can use those skills when they're, you know, when they're in the season and they're having sleep issues. And typically, well, the, the reasons why athletes are seeking sleeping pills is because they're trying to combat that hyper arousal, which is associated with the game. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this seems to be such a common thread for a lot of the conversations that I have on this show where, you know, I'll bring in people like yourself, experts in sleep or, you know, sports psychs. And, and we really need to move these conversations out of the, you know, this is a, a negative on this person and oh, yeah. think of it like, mm-hmm. like skill development, like you said, both the mental training, even this, you know, building out uh, programs around how to sleep and, and educating yourself and, and practicing um, all this stuff needs to be moved into that bucket, the skill acquisition bucket, like you talked right. about before. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and I, might I say one more thing? You know, there are, we are clearly living in the age of the expert. There are a lot of people claiming to be, you know, leaders at something. And I can't even tell you how many so-called sleep experts I see out there. You know, they've done a weekend or a three-month course on sleep. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I would say that if you're, if you're selling mattresses, you're not a sleep expert, but you're definitely an expert on mattresses. <laughs> and if you're, if you're selling, you know, those devices that you say might measure sleep, then you're an expert in that device, but not on sleep. But, but the bottom line is it's not uncommon to have misinformation about sleep. And so, so things like, you know, like we just, we just discussed that, Simple sleep hygiene measures of, you know, keep the bedroom cold, dark, uh, quiet, you know, don't drink alcohol. You know, all those things are already available to your players. You know, unless people are, are living under a rock, they already know the information that's out there. But they're not, but these players, they're looking for, they're really looking for actionable science-based non-gimmicky solutions 
And it's so easy to reach for a pill, you know, but, but, but you really want to, you want to educate them so that they get the right, uh, so that they're on the right path. Okay. That's my rant and it's over. <laughs> no, this is, I, I love, Hey, I'm a massive advocate of rants. So um, the, well, the, ne- the next one that I want you to go on though. So we've talked about athletes, but, what I'm trying to get to is or where the people that I'm trying to get to, and this is why I love doing this show is I like to talk directly to the coaches because what we don't see historically is ourselves as performers. We see the athletes as performers and there's kind of that parental thing that I was talking about as to why I don't sleep and you give them all the preparation at your own expense. And I've talked many, many times on this podcast and conferences about coaches we need to understand that we are performers as well and we need to look after ourselves so that we can better look after them mm-hmm. and and particularly in this era where you know we're knowledge workers and it's a knowledge economy mm-hmm. and and the mental side of things is is huge now so can you give me a mini rant on on oh, coaches yes. and leaders because I, I i hate talking about the idea that you're tough because you stay at the facility studying game tape until 4 30 a.m uh, we, we need to move away from that. And so I, I'm trying to be at the forefront of, of that for coaches as well. Like we are performers just like the athletes. Right, right. And I, and I have to tell you that, you know, before I go on my rant, I want to tell you a short story. I, I, when I first started um, working in the NFL, I was, frankly, I was appalled at the hours they would keep. And people would say, you know, friends and family would say, oh my goodness, so glamorous, you know, you're working with all these athletes. And I would say, you have no idea how difficult life is for them. You know, and, and I, especially about coaches, athletic trainers, etc., who who we know do knowledge work, they suffer the same issues with sleep deprivation and its effects on mental uh, abilities. They are after all human. And remember, they, they always get to the facility before the players. They leave much later. So the stress of the long season can really get to them. And I would say three main reasons why it's important for them to get enough sleep. So first of all, think about your problem-solving abilities, right? Strategizing, coming up with plays or solutions. Now, sleep plays a significant role here. You know, taking in new information, putting it together with previously stored information, coming up with novel ideas, Uh, That is the function of sleep. I mean, that's why we say sleep on a problem. You know, have you ever had anybody say eat on a problem? No, right? (laughs) It's because because sleeping is what's going to help you uh, come up. uh, Your main part, you know, role as a coach is to come up with novel uh, solutions. And you need sleep for that. The The second important thing is emotional regulation. Now, we know poor sleep degrades all the steps in emotional regulation. So, you know, when you look at the situation, you, you decide whether, first of all, whether you're going to pay attention to it, you appraise it, you decide how you want to address it, whether you want to say something or not, whether you want to respond or not, all those steps degrade if you get less sleep. So there's increased impulsivity, risk-taking increases, your inhibition is lower. And if I think about coaching, you know, your communication skills, which are key for you to be able to coach, 
they they get impaired if you don't get enough sleep. I mean, think empathy. Right. Right. You can't be empathic if you're feeling crap because you didn't get enough sleep. And think your deduction abilities. Now, there was a great study that looked at, and it, it, it was at looking at um, entrepreneurs, and they were saying that they were not able, if you were sleep deprived, you didn't appraise uh, a new, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you didn't, uh, a new proposal uh, objectively, you, you would miss cues. So, so, so your deduction ability is actually impaired. And thirdly, and this I think is the most important, is that, you know, the, is the health in general. So think, think about normal aging and dying. So there are three main pathways which how we normally age and, and die. It's either atherosclerosis, it's, which is you know, heart disease or stroke, neurodegeneration, which is dementia, or neoplastic, which is any kind of cancer, and sleep deprivation and circadian um, misalignment and dysrhythmia contributes and hastens all three of these processes. And, wow. and, then, and then think of the unnatural ways of dying. It can be drowsy accidents, you know, suicides, you know, again, sleep deprivations directly contributes to both mental health issues as well as drunk driving and drowsy accidents. So I think that's, I think that I'm, that's the end of rant number two. <laughs> and you definitely, you do live your brand the other morning when I was up at 4.30 a.m. tweeting and then you tweeted me back asking yes, well, why, why I was awake. Uh, you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. And in my defense, I, you know, I'm an early morning person. So I, I go to bed by nine o'clock and then I'm up at four ten, And then I, I actually do take a nap, you know, as almost on a daily basis, like a 25 minute nap. I try to as well. But what's your excuse? Yes. I didn't have one. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to cover up. I got up to go to the washroom and I came back and went on my phone. That was it. Right, 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 right. And, and see, and that's, that is you know, let's take a minute and just talk about that because it's not abnormal to wake up in the middle of the night. So we, we cycle through different sleep stages, stage one, stage two, stage three, dream, sleep, wake up. That mm -hmm. cycle is approximately 90 minutes. Now in the second half of the night, when your sleep drive has been consumed, you're more likely to be aware of those awakenings. And you might wake up, and of course, you might have to get up to go, go pee. So it's, but, but it's what happens afterwards, right? So if you get up, go to the bathroom, come back, go back to sleep, that's fine. But if you turn around and you look at, you reach for your phone and you tell what time it is, then you make these calculations in your head and you say, well, I went to bed at this time. It's this time. I have so much, so many hours more to sleep. I have this to do the next day. You've started, you've recruited more brain cells than you need to. And of course, and then, and then you can start tweeting. So that's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. Mita, we're recording this before the end of the year. So that's going to be my 2020. I don't like resolutions, but I'm going to work on that. That's going to be my skill development in 2020 is to, to get my sleep hygiene up. Well, I, I, would, I would challenge you, Cody, to start uh, charging your phone in the other room. Now, I have to tell you, very, very few people can do that. You'd have to buy an old-fashioned alarm clock if you're using the phone as an alarm. And turn it to face the other way, so you don't you can't tell the time in the middle of the night, and charge the phone in the next room. 
So that's that's the the whole of the challenge. Well, we have one of those ones that lights up in the morning slowly to, okay. try, to try to wake us up. I don't know your opinion on those, but yes, I, I don't want to. I don't think we should. That's another rabbit hole. We don't. Want, I, I don't want to talk about that. You don't want to. There's <laughs> no. no. There's no third rant. No, no, because I think my suspicion is you spend money on it, and I don't want you to feel bad about <laughs> the clock at all. <laughs> All right, some more free consulting from you. So my team, AFL Team Canada, we're moving all of our guys. We play tournament-based. So every three years, there's a, what's called the International Cup of Aussie Rules. So all the countries outside of Australia send their teams. They're all domestic players, so all my guys are Canadian. They're not Aussie expats. We're moving them all across to Brisbane, Australia. It's a two-week tournament, and then uh-huh. we're going to play five games in 12 or 13 days. So we'll have about a week to prepare beforehand, a mini training camp a week before. But the issue that I'm facing is we obviously have to move guys from, from uh, Vancouver to Halifax, get them all together and move them across the world to Brisbane, acclimatize, and then play five games in 12 days in a sport that usually you play once a week. So this is our, this is our version of the world cup. So if you were to give me some off the top of your head advice or my players, some off the top of your head advice in terms of how they can not just go across time zones, literally go to the other side of the planet Uh and then play an absurd amount of games in a condensed period of time. So, So the first thing I would say is that make sure that whilst you're still in Canada, you get good sleep. Don't climb on that plane sleep deprived because then you've already dug a hole that you're only going to dig deeper. So that would be my first advice is to get enough sleep on a regular basis whilst you're here. The second thing I would say is that, that there is a way that you can slightly, whenever, whenever, whenever the, the time, number of time zones is eight or more. It's always better to delay your bedtime to adjust to the new time zones. Therefore, hmm. send, me, send me your, your, um, your schedule. You, and, and you want to, you know, and remember, it takes time. To, there's no such thing as instant jet lag treatment. So you want time to get adjusted. So send me your schedule right now. Once, once we're done, and I will work on it and we, we definitely help you um, try to get adjusted once you get, once you get there. But, and, and, and so the other way to, to, you know, for your audience, I would suggest is that, and this is, you know, this is research that's, this happens to sports organizations often. You know, they, for example, the NBA sent uh, a few teams to Asia to play three mm-hmm. games. Yeah. And they were there for a week. Now, a week is not long enough to adjust. Uh, you know, so, but, so you can't really do jet lag measures in the true sense. But you can, A, you can you know, make sure you get on that plane well rested. B, you treat uh, your symptoms of excessive sleepiness and uh, insomnia like you would do. So you treat them like you would treat the symptoms of a cold. You know, you can't, you don't really, uh, you don't really treat the virus. You just treat the symptoms. So you can, you can design a plan to treat that in which you show players where, what the optimal time it would be for them to sleep. 
the optimal time to to uh, practice, the optimal time to nap, the optimal time to expose yourself to bright light, and the time to avoid bright light. That would be a comprehensive program. So let's talk away from work for a minute. What's what's capturing your imagination at the moment? We're at the end of the decade again. We're recording this before, you know, the 2020 New Year, and everyone's talking about the previous decade or you know life at the moment. So what's interesting you about the world at the moment? Well, I am really interested in, you know, mental health, its relationship with sleep as well as peak performance in high achievers. So, so just to clarify, not just the absence of mental disorders, but, you know, this, this idea of high performance grappling with authenticity, trying to find the meaning or make meaning of their work and life. And just to give you some background, because I, I often work with CEOs and pro athletes and, and often when they get what they think, when they get to what they think is the destination or they've achieved that huge goal or everything they've hoped of for, it is often followed by a sense of being underwhelmed. I don't know if you right and 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 it's often accompanied by insecurity because once they've made it they have to watch out for competition that can take it away from them so there's this constant striving and so and then and and that itself can be exhausting and and i guess i'm you know i'm i am reading more and more about this i i'm finding more and more people are always looking for something more in their lives and i and the more i read about it and talk to people uh, you know, there are one or two themes that I've, I'm, I'm focusing on. You know, I found that either spirituality or a daily meditation practice, both are very grounding. And the second is a sense of community. Anyway, so that's, that's what my focus is right now, exploring this field a little bit more. It's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, me, and, me and my business partner spent uh, the better part of like, two and a half, three years interviewing best endurance athletes in the world. So uh-huh. from your elite amateurs up to your Ironman world champions, men, women from different backgrounds, um, from all around the world, from, you know, some that kind of stumbled into what they were doing, some that that's all they wanted to do. And the, the prevalence of what you talked about, the, the kind of sense of, oh, that's it. And then yeah. also the, the prevalence of imposter syndrome. And, and that it really changed my perspective. You know, we would work, these were all first person um, articles that were published. And so I would work with them on that. You know, I'm a writer by trade and kind of sculpting these messages and, and just, it came out every single time. Mm. And, and it's really fascinating for me as someone that's grown up around sports, because you obviously idolize these people that win everything. And then just, you know, even looking at pro sports and, and the movement towards, yeah, everyone being an expert and the judgment on social mm-hmm. media. Yes. And, and then you actually go and talk to these people and a lot of them feel uncomfortable even being there in the first place. They, they're kind of not sure why they're there. They were good at a sport and kind of got swept up in it. And yeah, it's really changed my perspective on particularly the, the top of the top of the top. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's funny how many um, Olympic players have told me that, you know, you know they've spent all their lives, uh, you know, getting there, they've prepared for it, they get to the Olympics, and they're, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're number one, two, three, four, five, six, and, and the sense of um, sometimes frank depression, actually, mm. that develops after um, that, that the players will, will struggle with. It's... Um, uh, you know, we're, we're not, I don't think we're doing um, athletes. Uh, th- this, this, you know, we, we need to do more. You know, and I, again, I don't know, when I say we, you know, I don't know where, what the answer is, but I think more needs to be done. Totally. Yeah. I, I think the, the conversations need to be had around what we're talking about and also just the, the bollocks that I hear on social media around uh, people not being motivated and, and there's just a complete lack of understanding. There is a massive gap between what actually goes on and what the people see on TV, what fans see on TV. And, and that gap needs to come together a little bit. And I think the, the core of that is empathy. Yeah. One, one last thing I would say is that, you know, we, we talked about how, uh, especially in sports, somehow, because, you know, players, uh, I, I think sometimes coaches, um, their family members, their agents, uh, the audience expects them to be infallible. And, and often they don't, you know, even if there's something that is going through, they don't seek help. And which is why, you know, I, I love this concept that Fergus was talking about because they have, you know, uh, the, the ability to reach out to other people so that when, when you think you need help. Yeah, which is also, I believe, a skill. A skill that can be learnt and taught and, and Im- imposed on children and, and, and taught to them as early as that so that uh, it can become a lifelong skill. Yeah, you know, that's a very good way of saying that. I, you're absolutely right. Yes, I, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. All right. I could talk to you for hours, Mita, but why don't you tell everyone listening where they can find you if they want to follow along? We've talked about you on being on Twitter, but uh, where can people find your work and everything that uh, you've got going on? So, uh, yes, I am on Twitter. My Twitter handle is athletesleepmd1. I also am on LinkedIn, Mita Singh MD. And um, I do have a website. It's mitasinghmd.com. If, if people reach out, and I'm always happy to answer questions. So did someone already have Athlete Sleep MD as their Twitter handle? So you had to get number one? Well, <laughs> you know, that, no, no. I, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that I, people knew I was number one. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, um, you know, as we, and we were discussing this earlier, Cody, it's, it's difficult, you know, for me being a female visibility has been an issue because I'm not very comfortable, you know, putting things out there, but we, we don't work in a vacuum. And so it is important for, it's, it's a, it's a struggle that I've, you know, I've, I've realized that one really has to be available and, and visible on certain platforms uh, to, to spread the word. Absolutely. Well, and, and I would implore you to do that more. We, we need to have your perspective as part of the, the conversation. And, and that's not just, 
from your expertise is the female aspect is you're an, you're an immigrant like myself and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it, yeah, we, we are a group of people that, that need to, uh, to lead these conversations. So hopefully this, uh, helps a, a little bit, but, um, please continue sharing your voice because it is, is much needed. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Thank you for joining me. And uh, I think you've got a couple of rants left in you, so we'll have to do a second show at some point. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thank you.